Worshipful brethren, brethren all, welcome to Freemasonry in seven minutes or less. In this episode, we will be discussing the alchemy of death. Now, one of the chapters that caught my attention when thumbing through the contents page of Brother Earnshaw's book, Spiritual Alchemy, when I read it for the first time, was the alchemy of death. I won't ruin it for you, but in the synopsis, the chapter postulates that certain people, perhaps in possession of the secrets of spiritual alchemy, were able to choose their departure date from this corporeal realm. I don't think that I've talked about it on this podcast before, but I used to be a night manager in a cancer and terminal illness hospital in Oxford, which was, is one of the leading research hospitals in the UK. I was in charge of estates management on the night shift mainly, but I also looked after and coordinated some of the patient night services. It was a really great student job, and I was there for a couple of years that fitted in really well with my engineering degree. Uh, one of the things... One of the things I used to do was liaise with the night nurse in the event that somebody passed away, uh, following all of the necessary procedures, filling out the paperwork, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the frequency would be one every two days or one every other day, usually a little bit more at the weekends, but approximately four people would pass, four to five people would pass a week. Now, I can tell you with absolute certainty that people, uh, when they know they have a finite time on this planet left, will have an approximate date in mind that they will depart and they will pretty much get it to the day. Uh, they'll, they'll choose something like a birthday or a partner's birthday or, or a child's birthday. They can pretty much zero in. Uh, it, it's quite uncanny. Um, but I remember at Christmas time, you know, you'd have zero people passing for the week in the, uh, in the, in the lead up to Christmas. But then on Boxing Day, you'd have 12 to 15 people. Mm. It really is quite astonishing to experience that. Mm. But um, aside from my anecdotal evidence, there are documentation in the field of anthropology uh, about certain techniques of death meditations practiced by Buddhist monks. One of those practices being called, I'm probably going to butcher this, the pronunciation of this, but uh, Soku Shinbutsu, yes. which originated in the mountain, ah, <laughs> <laughs> mountain dwelling religion called Shugendo in Japan, itself a syncretism between Vajrayana Buddhism Shinto and Taoism in the 7th century. Uh, the monks would die in a state of jhana, uh, which is meditation whilst chanting the Nambutsu, a mantra about Buddha, and their body would become naturally preserved as a mummy with skin and teeth intact without decay and without the need for any artificial preservatives. You can actually find uh, videos on uh, a documentary channel, the Japanese documentary channel, and several pictures of these mummified monks, and they can be found um, all over Japan. So, Brother Earnshaw, in your time in the medical field, is this something that you came across? <laughs> also, as this is part of the world, have you heard of these death meditations at all? Well, actually, yes, I have. And it's funny you should say this because recently I saw on Facebook a picture of what I could you could only say was a desiccated monk <laughs> um, who had been found in the snow in the lotus position in Mongolia on January the 27th this year, uh, 2022, they estimated that he was about 200 years old. And um, th the weird thing is that they said the monk wasn't dead. He was just meditating. <laughs> I don't think I agree with that. But um, anyway, um, personally, I do not agree with these type of ascetic practices. Um, asceticism is basically uh, refrain, refraining from worldly pleasures, um, 
self-denial, abstinence, self-mortification, things like this. And I think you can actually include Catholic nuns and monks who live in a cloistered monastery. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't see how this helps world peace. <laughs> what are they doing that um, uh, promotes um, uh, a peace and uh, healing in the world? It seems like they're doing it for their own their own self-gratification, I suppose. Um, of course, the other thing is there are friars and um, monks and friars are actually slightly different. People not sh- probably are not aware that a monk is a person who lives in seclusion, but a friar is a person who has taken the orders, but he actually works among regular people in society. So he will work in... Um, uh, food pantries or suicide prevention programs and uh, helping people. And these friars, uh, I, I respect, but um, people who seclude themselves to pray and chant and uh, do whatever, I, I do not agree with. Um, so as I mentioned in um, the last book, uh, Freemasonry Royal Arch, um, I explained there an advanced spiritual exercise, but the objective of the exercise is not just so you can have the experience of immortality, but so that you can use that experience to alleviate disease disease and suffering. And I think that is what, as a noble um, objective, and that's what everybody should be thinking about. So I'm not uh, in agreement with monks who... (laughs) who um, uh, recite the uh, Nembutsu until they die. I don't think it serves any purpose at all. (laughs) I think it's a strange aesthetic as well. Mount Athos in in Greece, I find an astonishing place, but I just, I couldn't think of anything worse than completely lifelong secluding yourself away from society, from indulgence, from women, and just, why would you do it? You know, right. if you, if you stop doing any of those things, then humanity stops. And it's and it's like, well, you have the problem. If you're the sinner in the first place, then I think the issue isn't really with secluding yourself from it. It's the way that you interact with it. Right. I think there's issues with with the um, with the person. But, that's, um, that's my point. I I think um, I think the stronger person is the person who goes out in society and works out his problems and helps society rather than secluding himself. But it's my personal opinion, yes. Yeah. But the, um, the meditations are very interesting times. So that 7th century religion, um, the mix of Vajrayana yoga and also the Taoism, it's, a, yeah, it's an interesting syncreticism. Uh, mm. How that travelled out, that aesthetic in that time period, is, is, um, there's a lot going on in the world and in, in, the, in the Middle East at that time. So was there a cultural exchange? Well. Mm. That's a, a topic for another podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, that um, that just about brings this episode to a close. If you have any questions, please email on the link below. We now part on the square and we will meet soon. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.